Welcome to the Life on the Upcycle podcast. I'm Ashley Titus, a coffee-obsessed, cloth-diaper-loving working mother with a master's degree in environmental management. Each week, I'll be bringing you interviews from experts with tools to help your busy family live a more eco-friendly, centered life. In a world that's constantly demanding you to show up, you won't have to worry about that here. I'll do the heavy lifting. So relax and enjoy. And together, let's love Earth Day because she's the only one we've got. Welcome to the Life on the Upcycle podcast. This is episode number five. Last week was definitely one of the toughest. We cherished our last moments with our beautiful 13-year-old Terrier Chihuahua rescue pup. In the midst of our grieving and celebrating her life, our poor little guy caught the flu. My husband and I spent the weekend taking turns holding our little guy because that's the only way he'll sleep when he's really sick. But during that time, I couldn't help but think back to those earlier days. You see, my sweet little guy suffered from colic when he was an infant, so we spent a lot of time in those first weeks just snuggling on the couch and show binging. While, of course, I wish that my son hadn't caught the flu, and although it's not likely, I hope that he never gets it again, I think that our family still really strongly needed a weekend on the couch, just shutting out the world and focusing on each other. I tell you all of this to basically set up a really big thank you. Thank you to the patient and positive responses on Facebook and Instagram. I truly have the best listeners. Now today, I wanted to give you some ideas on a sustainable vacation option. Spring break is right around the corner and summer break is not far behind. Keep a lookout on our Facebook and Instagram pages this week for sustainable camping ideas. Today's episode has me dreaming about our family's next camping trip. I have the opportunity to speak with Andy Chamberlain, Sustainable Programs Manager for Texas Parks and Wildlife. We discuss the sustainable efforts of the state of Texas's state parks. Additionally, she left me with some really helpful eco-friendly camping tips. We talked about cool opportunities you can take of when you're camping, and then also two ways that you can help parks continue their sustainability efforts when you're out camping. Andy Chamberlain directs sustainable programs for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. As a conservation agency with a mission of sustainability, working to conserve the resources of Texas for present and future generations, she works to find innovative ways that help Texas Parks and Wildlife Department remain a leader in sustainability. She's led the installation of more than 675 kilowatts of solar across 30 different facilities and facilitated the purchase of a 100% renewable energy contract for deregulated Texas Parks and Wildlife Department sites statewide. Working with her colleagues, her efforts to conserve resources have led to the growth of rural recycling programs and energy-efficient, dark-sky-friendly lighting in our state parks. Andy's passion for state parks, sustainability, and camping is contagious. I definitely had to cut it back because I could have talked to Andy all day long. Have you ever met someone and it's like you've been friends with them forever? That's how it was with Andy. It felt like just talking to an old friend. All right, I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's dive in. you been with Texas Parks and Wildlife? For a little over 10 years. Have you? Yeah, yeah I'll hit 11 years in the spring. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. what brought you to the agency? Yeah, so I had done consulting for a couple of years and it, really long hours. Yeah, it's and, like 60 um, hours a week minimum. 
Yeah, and uh, pretty high stress. Mm -hmm. And also, I didn't feel like I was giving back enough. Mm -hmm. Um, My graduate degree is in interdisciplinary studies in environmental science, sociology, and public administration. So I always wanted to work in government. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this has really been a really nice blend. I love being outside. I love our parks. I love the environment. So being able to work for Parks and Wildlife is kind of the best of all of those worlds. And then being able to leave good things for the future and for the people of Texas right now. So what what would you say so far has been your most prized project? The project that I'm most proud of, I guess, was fairly early on in my career with Parks and Wildlife. I started here in 2009. About 2010, we were in the recession. So stimulus money was um, was kind of coming around through the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. The Department of Energy had some money to encourage investment in solar and renewables. And so they sent that money to different state agencies, including the State Energy Conservation Office, which is part of the Texas Comptroller. And so the comptroller offered grants to state agencies to install solar. And so I was fairly new with the agency, but I made a pitch. Hey, let's apply for some of these funds. And they let me apply. And I think at the time, I thought maybe I'll get one of them that I apply for. And I applied for four in total. And we got all four. That's amazing. It was. Holy um, cow, that's exciting. So it ended up being like a $4 million project. Wow. Um, yeah, we installed solar at over 27 installations, I think, in all including McKinney Falls, State Park, just around the corner from us, but then all the way up to Wichita Falls. We have one at Lake Arrowhead State Park. In almost every region, we were able to get some solar, and 80% of that was paid for through stimulus funds. That kind of put the sustainability program on the map, but also helped Parks and Wildlife realize how beneficial solar can be. It was really great to have somebody else pay for a bulk of those solar installations, but it also meant that we needed to go back and invest in some energy efficiency. So there's still places where we're changing out lights and trying to get more efficient equipment in. You know, typically what you want to do is build your building and get your building as efficient as possible before you put on sexy renewables. But we did it opposite, kind of backwards, because we got the grant funding to do it. But that helped us looking forward in what we could do as an agency to be more sustainable. Um, and it's really been a benefit to the parks, too, because anytime a park saves energy, it impacts their operations budget. So they have more money. Instead of paying their utility bill out of that budget, they're able to spend that money maintaining the park and offering better services to the public. So it's really a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Some people probably don't realize each park is given a specific budget to work on every year. Exactly. And so I'm sure that probably can be kind of difficult. Yeah. Well, and you never really know, you know, if you have um, a camp loop, for instance, that has 220 electric hookups. So your RVs are coming in and your big RVs have maybe sometimes a TV in them or an air conditioner. And if you have a really busy month where all those RVs are plugged in and sucking that energy, you can't really plan for that. You can kind of know, okay, this is kind of what's what usually happens. But sometimes energy just it gets used (laughs) more than you expect. Or you can have some other kind of emergency issue, like a water leak or something like that, and all of a sudden your utility bill is skyrocketed. But you still have to put toilet paper in the restroom, and you still have to you know, change out the lights when they need to get changed out. Do all of the things that maintenance requires. Um, Treat the water. A lot of our parks have water treatment plants. Um, That's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing what our our rangers and the maintenance folks do in our parks. It's incredible. They're almost like little cities. Well, they even have police officers. So, yeah, (laughs) they they are little cities. Keep everything safe. That's awesome. Exactly. 
Speaking of the parks kind of running on their own, it seems like a lot of the state parks are in rural locations. Mm-hmm. So as far as recycling goes, have you all experienced any challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking that question, because I think a lot of times if you're living in an urban area and you go out to a park and you're used to recycling in your urban area, you expect to go out to this beautiful park and spend some time in nature. And so you're really inspired to take care of the environment and recycle. And then you're like, where's the recycle bin? And you're wondering, why doesn't this park care? Why aren't they recycling? Well, it's not that the park doesn't care. It's that it's really hard to get that material to the material recovery facility or the MRF is what they call it. And that's the place that sorts the recyclables and gets it ready to send to market. You know, a park that's out in the middle of of nowhere, it provides some really beautiful open space to go and hike around and to see, but it also makes it a big challenge to haul that material, and so it's more expensive. And as the recycling market's changed, China's getting more picky about what kinds of materials they'll accept. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if it's dirty or if it's mixed if in plastics and stuff, it's really caused a change in the recycling market, which has really impacted downstream the smaller, more rural recycling efforts because it's getting more expensive and so there's not much money to be made off of it, so less haulers are willing to haul the materials. So a lot of parks are taking it into their own hands and using friends group, friends group people and volunteers and pretty much anybody they can to try to get whatever materials they can recycled, but it's a real challenge. We have an effort in our sustainability branch to try to match up parks together to help them kind of find other parks that are also experiencing the same challenge in the area. And we're looking at ways that we can work with community programs. There was a group called CTRA that's now merged with Keep Texas Beautiful. And so we're trying to work with them to, to just try. We all kind of have that same goal of reducing waste in Texas, especially in rural areas. And so we're trying to work together. One of the things I think is really interesting is, you know, as urban sprawl happens and people move more and more out into rural areas, they're demanding the same services that they had when they were in the urban area. So Bastrop recently, which is just about 30 miles outside of Austin, they started curbside recycling for their community. And yeah, and for years, Bastrop State Park wanted to recycle, but they couldn't get a hauler to come all the way from Austin, that 30 miles. Well, they couldn't afford the, right. the hauling. It can be super pricey. But when the city of Bastrop started recycling in their community, all of a sudden that hauler is making that trip anyway. Really? It became really cost effective. And so Bastrop's actually saving, I think, roughly $3,000 a year because they included recycling now. So it's not all bad. There's hope, but it can be a real challenge, especially if you think about Big Ben. Oh, Big yeah. Ben Ranch State Park is, I think it's a hour drive just to get into the proper part of the park from the main road Presidio. It's a real challenge for them to consider recycling. For your listeners and for anybody who's curious about what you can do when you go to a park, pack it out. There's things called the leave no trace principles. And one of those is pack it out. So if you take it with you, plan on taking it back out with you. Plan on taking it home and recycling it when you get back home or don't bring it at all. Try to being better. Yeah. Right. Try to bring all your stuff in reusable containers and don't make any trash. That's really kind of honoring the environment when you're out there. Just don't make trash. That's... There you go. It's as easy as that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not that easy. It takes a lot of effort. No, but sure. um but pre-planning, I mean one of the things I like to do before I go camping is think about the meals that I'm gonna have and if I'm gonna have chopped vegetables. One of the things I like to make is this one pot chicken dish and it's onions and carrots and potatoes and I'll cut all of that stuff ahead of time and have it all in a reusable container and just throw that in the cooler and then 
I don't have any trash and I haven't had to bring my knife. I haven't had to bring a cutting board. Yeah. I haven't had to bring all the things. I just dump it in there and we're ready to go. And so it's nice to kind of think about the trash that you're not going to make when you go camping. I was talking before about solar. In 2011, we did a bunch of solar installations. The parks that didn't get the solar were like, well, how do I get solar in my park? And so I was looking for other opportunities, but really we didn't have the funding to install solar installations. And so I was looking for other funding opportunities. One of the things we do is we purchase electric utilities. Let me back up. In the early 2000s, late 90s, we went through deregulation. I can't remember when that was, but it was around 2000. Texas went through deregulation. And so in areas that are part of deregulation, you get to choose your retail electric provider. And so about half of our sites are in that, are served by deregulated markets. And then half of our sites are in co-op and municipal served areas. So Austin Energy, for instance, is a city municipal electric utility. Pernalis Electric Co-op is a cooperative utility. And so we don't really have a choice there. We have to buy our utilities from whoever serves in the co-op and muni areas. But for instance, up in the North Texas area, there is deregulation. And so we get to choose our retail electric provider. And so what we did is we aggregated all of our sites that get to choose together and took that out for bid. And when we took it out for bid, we had been approached by Green Mountain Energy to say, hey, can we also offer some incentives? And Green Mountain Energy wanted to partner with us. They offered incentives to install solar on a project. So this was just a one-year contract back in 2015. And so we got about a $60,000 installation at Sea Center, Texas. Holy cow. I That's know. awesome. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to be fair, it was a large contract because we do use a lot of energy right. and we're talking Across several. Across the state. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Many, many meters. And so. But to get something back out of it, that's really neat. Exactly. Renewable energy. And Green Mountain, they sell 100% renewable Texas generated energy. The energy that we were purchasing was also renewable. So that has been really cool. They bid again. And so we had three-year agreement that has just come into a close. And so we're about to go out for bid again. So there will be another opportunity. And so that's how we got the solar installations like at Dinosaur Valley. If you have a chance to and haven't been out to Dinosaur Valley State Park in a while, they have a new solar pavilion. It has fans and lights. And it is right in front of the two model dinosaurs from I think the World's Fair, mm-hmm. um, the 1968 World's Fair, something like that. That's um, so cool. Yeah, they're so cool. If you haven't seen the dinosaurs, that's that's Absolutely. something to go see. Yeah. Um, kids love them. They were there when I was a kid, and they were um, <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah. So Dinosaur Valley was definitely one of the parks that I grew up in. So cool. If you have a kid that's into dinosaurs, it is amazing because they have actual tracks that have tracked into the Paluxy River. You can actually stand there and see where a dinosaur walked up and down that river. And it's just, it is amazing. And it's only what, like 45 minutes, I think, south of DFW? If that. It's, yeah, within driving distance. It's in Glen Rose, Texas, so right outside of Cleburne. Sometimes that park gets really busy, and if it's too busy to get into, Cleburne State Park, just down the road, uh, another 20 minutes away. So those were my stomping grounds when I was a kid. I love those parks. Good fishing at Cleburne. Good. Yeah. That's a beautiful spring-fed lake. Yeah. We've been out there a couple times. They've got some really cool hiking and biking trails. I I feel like it's like a... Unknown. Unknown, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's what makes it so special. Yeah. Is it's really quiet and and pretty. It's not too big. The lake's Mm -hmm. small enough that I'm not even sure they allow motorized boats Mm, on it. I don't think they do. Which is really nice to just go swimming in and not feel like you're going to get run over by a boat. Or like have to fight all the boat traffic. Mm -hmm. You can just camp. It's a quiet, sweet little park. It is.
Hi, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that we were also on social media. You can find us at Facebook and Instagram on Life on the Upcycle. Within Facebook, we have an awesome community group. It'd be awesome if you started a conversation within the community. There, you can post questions, give suggestions for things that you've implemented into your house to help other busy families. And lastly, have you followed this podcast? It would be awesome if you would. That way, you'll get updates on the newest episodes. Let's dive back in. Fort Parker State Park comes to mind. Oh, um, yeah. That's it, a great park. Well, it's a CCC park. Mm-hmm. So back in the 30s, the Civilian Conservation Corps was utilized to help build some of our parks. And, and that's one of the parks that, that they helped with. And so they have these historic Civilian Conservation Corps buildings, but they also have some newly renovated facilities. And so there's a group barracks area, meeting space that is just fantastic. It's like um, the best of both worlds. It is. <laughs> and they also have fantastic fishing there. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. If you had a free weekend, which park would you go to? Well, I think it all depends on weather. Yeah, oh, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know, because I spent, over Thanksgiving, I went out to Big Bend. And, Did um, you? Yeah. Oh, man. And there's nothing like uh, West Texas, especially in the winter, because it's nice and warm during the day. Yeah. The nights can be, get pretty cold. But, but with, the skies are gorgeous. Oh, the stars. My husband claims that he saw his shadow cast by a shooting star. <laughs> and it really was the most incredible shooting star I've yeah. ever seen. I mean, That's it went awesome. all the way from one side of the sky to the other side. Wow. And um, yeah, so he caught the end of it. He was looking down, saw his shadow, and then looked up to see the rest of the star. But I was looking up, so I saw the whole star. And it was just, we still talk about it. And that was weeks ago. That um, sounds amazing. It really is. Texas is just full of some really amazing skies. And it's so diverse. Because so you have Big Bend on one side of the state. And then you go far east. And you have the Piney Woods. And yeah. The murky waters of the Piney Woods yeah. that you never Cato. know what's going to crawl out oh of it. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Caddo is the only natural lake in Texas. I just think that that's incredible. People think, well, there's plenty of lakes in Texas. Well, that's because we dammed up rivers. You know, before we dammed rivers, Caddo was the only natural lake. There, it has those big cypress trees, and it's just... I know, it's kind of romantic. It's, it it's is. really sweet. Yeah, with all the Spanish moss. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's one of a kind. It is. That's one one place I'd like to go this winter. It is definitely on my, on my bucket list bucket to list. do soon. Yeah. So you talked about the shooting star, Dark Skies. I have a funny story about Dark Skies kind of related to my job. So when I started with Parks and Wildlife in 2009, 2010... I was invited to go talk to our state parks and I really wanted to encourage, I saw a lot of inefficient lighting in our parks. And so I thought, hey, I'm gonna talk to parks about changing out the lights and they're gonna see all of the money savings that can happen from that. And everybody's gonna change out the lights and everything's gonna be great. And I just didn't see that happening as fast as I expected it to. And then maybe a year or two later, dark skies started to get talked about. Copper Breaks State Park and Enchanted Rock State Natural Area both became International Dark Sky Certified Parks. What that means is they have adapted all of their lighting to be dark sky friendly. So it's all going to face down, they're not going to waste light, it's not going to pollute up into the sky. When you're walking around it's going to be the right color temperature so your eyes can adjust and your eyes can see the night sky. And so that became kind of a hot thing with state parks. And all of a sudden, parks were changing out their lights to be more energy efficient, but to also be dark sky friendly. But then they saw the savings. Yeah, it so was. a win-win, definitely. Yeah, yeah and so really then cool. they're starting to change out all of their lights. And I just think it's really interesting that 
we always think that money is the big motivator, but I, I would argue that it's really about finding the passion, finding what people are passionate about. And for our park rangers and our, our parks, it was about night skies because they know how valuable they are. They know how beautiful they are. I was looking at our Parks and Wildlife website. It says that 80% of Americans have never seen the Milky Way. Wow. Yeah, 80% of Americans have never seen the Milky Way. That's a really big number if you break that down. It really is. Oh, Um, that's sad. It is really sad. And so in doing a little more research for this, you know, kind of why are dark skies important, I was looking on the darksky.org site, and they were saying that in France, where Van Gogh painted Starry Night, you can't see the Milky Way anymore because of light pollution. And so... What if we never had Starry Night? <laughs> you know, know? What, yeah. what if we never had all of the things that that stars inspire? You know, navigation, uh, the oh, yeah. things that oh, the calendar. Yeah, I mean, we used to tell stories. We used to sit around the campfire and tell stories, and that was one of the one of our big communication methods was using the stars. And I just, it makes me sad that so few people have experienced just the awe-inspiringness of the night sky. So I'm really proud that Parks and Wildlife is really making an effort to to make sure that our night skies are preserved. But I'd like to encourage your listeners to go out and take advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. We've even attended one or two interpretive programs out in the state parks for are specific to star parties and things like that those are super cool yeah we have some incredible interpreters and um i've heard that the interpreter at big ben ranch is excellent at the night sky presentation guess too we should probably explain the actual position interpreter i think a lot of people think of like the actual language but it's really more of like an educational role would you say exactly so they're kind of the person to give you how a school group come through we have a lot of homeschooled kids in texas and um yeah and they come to state parks to learn things and so a park interpreter um, might have several tools in their back pocket to talk about different things and and sometimes those are right in line with the teaks An interpreter is kind of prepared to talk about all of the different things, what you can learn from a park. So why does the river um, flow that way and what lives in the river and why does this tree grow here and what kind of tree is it and what might live on in the tree and depend on the tree pollinator gardens have become a a, kind of a big thing right so the interpreter you might go into a visitor center at a state park and talk with an interpreter who's showing a monarch butterfly or chrysalis that they've got the pupa is is going to turn into a butterfly and explain all of that to not just a kid but also to an adult oh absolutely and so everybody is leaving with some new knowledge and i love that and a little bit more love for the park are there any new (laughs) up-and-coming projects that y'all are working on Oh, we're always working on something. Well, we we talked about recycling. We talked about renewable energy. We've done made some really good strides in that area. We do have some new parks coming online. Palo Pinto Mountains State Park is um, is going to be coming online in the next couple of years. So right now we're in the process of designing it and getting it ready for construction. And that's going to be located uh, about an hour outside of Fort Worth. Right now we're, we're designing it. And I'm really excited because they're... All of our designs now for new parks, we're realizing, A, that it's nice to be low impact on the environment. When you build efficiently, the park doesn't have high operations costs. And so they're able to put that money towards doing other services for the park. And so Palo Pinto Mountains is going to be built low impact. It's going to be built to minimize its impact on the land. That's really cool. It is really cool. I know they're going to have a day use area for kids that, yeah, will incorporate a lot of natural playscapes. 
you know, it's it's funny. When I was growing up, it was like our parents just, you know, opened the door and said, go outside. Don't come back until it's dark. But I think we've gotten away from that because just frankly, the world is scary now and you can't trust people. It's hard for kids to get outside and play um, and connect with, with the environment. You know, it has so much to teach kids, you know, dexterity and creativity and just so many things. And so a natural playscape will kind of give those opportunities, some logs to climb on, some, you know, things to just interact with the environment in a safe space, you know? Oh, that sounds amazing. I know. I know. I'm excited. Me too. So how would you suggest that the listeners support state parks? There are so many ways. I mean, you can join your friends group. Almost all state parks have a friends group. And if they don't have a friends group, they're probably really excited if you want to start one. (laughs) Um, And what that means, it's just a group that kind of serves as a nonprofit that helps support the park. You know, maybe it's it's events in the community. Maybe it's uh, cleaning up litter. It can be, you know, a magnitude of things, helping with recycling program. But you can volunteer with your, your state park, become a friends group member. You can just visit the state park, um, yeah, you know, be sure. a purchase the state park pass. I think it's $80 that gives you year-long access into any of the state parks. I think and everybody in your vehicle can come along with that. So what a great deal. You know, if you have oh, a, yeah. you know, a fairly large family, heck, that'll pay for itself in a couple trips. Going out there and just experiencing the parks and, and talking to your friends and family about how important state parks are. But I think even the, the small things like thinking about when you go to a park, reducing your impact, taking reusable things, don't make so much trash, don't make, if you're going to make recycling, take it back home with you, and really think about how you're impacting that um, natural environment. Yeah, but also I'm, we have so little public land in Texas. Mm-hmm. Less than 5% of Texas is public land. Wow. We're a huge state. And you go to places like Montana and Colorado, and they have all of this public land Mm -hmm. where you can just go, you know, hike for days. And it's all public, and it's not a big deal. But Texas, those resources are really special. And so we need to protect them and take care of them. And they're getting love to death in some ways. There's long lines to get into some of our parks. Enchanted Rock State Natural Area takes reservations just for day use now. I I heard the same thing about, is it Lost Maple State Park, Mm -hmm. I think, during the high traffic time in the fall? Right. Well, in the fall, it's got these maple trees that turn colors. And, you know, Texas isn't really known for its fall colors, right? But Lost Maple State Park is known for its fall colors. And so, yes, it gets very busy. It's also just a beautiful park. Think about making a reservation if you're going to go to one of those really loved parks. Dinosaur Valley can be one of those sometimes. So I grew up in Texas. So I grew up in Fort Worth. I'm, I think I'm sixth generation Texan. So um, Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So growing up in Fort Worth, fairly middle class. Uh, there was not a lot of money to go on fancy vacations. So we went camping a lot. Um, we had one of those old Coleman tents with the, you know, poles that... Oh, yeah. You know, I think, oh my gosh, my tent's so fancy now. <laughs> we would go camping on the weekends in Dinosaur Valley, one of the parks that we would camp at, Cleburne State Park. Um, man, I miss those days. Those were the good old days. Yeah. And we go to the coast occasionally. Galveston Island State Park was one of my mom's favorites. So I, I'm very fond of the state parks. And I think it gave me a love early on for the outdoors and for the environment. It probably turned me into the environmentalist I am today. Yeah. So. That's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. You know, I have a lot of friends who love to be outside. They love to go hiking. And when I talk about going camping, they're like, oh, no, that's not for me. 
I don't, I don't I know. I've, I've seen the same trend. I've been really kind of surprised by it. I am too. And I, I think we've seen it at Parks and Wildlife. And we're trying to combat that with our Texas Outdoor Family program. It's called Texas Outdoor Family. And you can look it up, uh, just a quick Google search for, I think it's uh, around $65, $70 for the weekend. You can bring a family of up to six people. Okay. They provide the tent. They provide the camp stove. They provide everything except for bedding and the food. They have a park ranger actually camp with the families. So you might be camping with 20 other families. You get your own campsite, but the equipment comes with it and you kind of get a guided experience. Here's how you put up a tent. Here's how you work a camp stove. So at night, before everybody goes to sleep, all the kids and adults all get together and they watch a presentation about sounds of the night. So you hear, what is that? The kids are all, owl, owl, yes, yes, that's what you hear. And then you hear like the rustle, rustle noise. And, um, and you think, oh my gosh, what is that? Because if you've ever camped outside before, if you've ever camped and you hear that rustling in the, in the grass, you think there's a lion outside that's right. going to eat Oh me. yeah, a bear. <laughs> For sure a bear. For sure a bear. Yeah. No, there are no bears that are going to eat you. It is very, very unlikely in Texas, especially. We do have a few bears. They're endangered and hard to come by, and you're not going to see them. Oh my goodness, they're so rare. Um, Yeah. yeah. That's far east. What you're more likely to see outside rustling and making that noise is an armadillo. Um, (laughs) Yeah. A very unscary, very shy armadillo that's going to run from you. Absolutely. Um, Occasionally, a raccoon. (laughs) Yeah, occasionally a raccoon, um, which is why you leave no trace. You put your stuff away at night. So you learn some of those basic tips with the Texas Outdoor Family, and you'll be a camper in no time. You kind of learn, you get an idea of what equipment you're going to want to invest in. Um, But maybe... Maybe you just want to try it a couple times and you're not quite sure you're ready to invest in it. Mm-hmm. It's great. They provide the tent. They provide all of this stuff. So you, awesome. you don't really even have to make that big yeah. jump. That's a heck of a deal. <laughs> right? <laughs> For just like a weekend. And then how cool would it be to have that job? <laughs> to be paid to go in camp? My husband used to work for the program, and so um, I can talk from firsthand experience that kind of like a park ranger, it sounds like a very glamorous job, and it can be very difficult. Yeah, I can um, see that. There's challenges. I'm lots sure. of hauling, um, lots oh, of you yeah. know carrying equipment and cleaning equipment, and worrying about all of the families. Are they having a good time? Did yeah. they have a good experience? Are they safe? It's been interesting to see it from that side, how difficult that job really is, oh, but also that. how gratifying. I've seen Rob come home and just beam from telling me a story about a kid that caught his first fish. Oh. And, um, and you just think like, wow, what an impact that has on a, on a young person to connect with the environment, to connect with, with being outdoors. And, you know, they might grow up to, to do something that can be incredibly impactful just from that experience. Like, oh, you absolutely. never know what kind of waves you're going to create. Get so yeah. disconnected, you yeah, know? Absolutely. And that's just another chance to, to connect. And um, we're building the future people who are going to take care of our environment. So, so important. <laughs>